That Naturopathic Podcast. TNP. Hello there. Hi, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dr. Michelle Pobega, naturopathic doctor. And I'm Dr. David Miller, ND, and we hear your frustrations. This show is for you. This show is for you if you're feeling like your current healthcare strategy is not getting to the root cause or the underlying reasons for your health. This show is for you if you've been told that you're fine, but you definitely don't feel very well. This show is for you if you're walking out of your doctor's office with one, two, three, four, or even five medications without any mention of diet, lifestyle, or a long-term game plan. This show is for you if you've got several specialists taking care of you, but no one is really putting all the pieces together. This show is for you if you believe that health should be part of healthcare. These problems have solutions. We know it. Our patients know it. And we want you to know it. Naturopathic medicine is the solution that you should know about. Hey everyone, Dr. Dave here. As you probably know, this podcast is all about getting the word out there that naturopathic medicine has got some serious game. Educating and inspiring our listeners to work towards and achieve better health is what it's all about. But just like it takes energy and effort to invest in and strive towards greater health, it takes energy, effort, and financial support to do all the podcast things necessary to keep this message coming at you. So please afford me a moment to share our gratitude and give a real heartfelt thank you to our show sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Their patient focus vision of improving health outcomes with the use of high quality naturopathic doctor designed supplements is 100% in alignment with what we're trying to do here at the podcast. Their enthusiasm for supporting what we're trying to do for you, the listener, encourages us to keep producing content that will inform and inspire. Thanks again to our sponsor, Cytomatrix Canada. Okay, welcome to another episode of that naturopathic podcast. It's Dr. Dave here, but we got two Dr. Daves today. Um, I'm here with I'm here with my uh, esteemed co-host Michelle Pobega, sidekick co-host, yeah, all around funny girl, um, also a naturopathic doctor. Just yeah, side note. <laughs> add add some add some color to our conversation a lot. So um, <laughs> we're going deep though today because we got uh, we got Dr. Dave Nelson uh, with us again, who's one of my personally one of my absolute faves to uh, make my brain explode and expand and maybe maybe touch on the heart a little bit too with some quasi spiritual i don't know yeah. something or other the guys the, 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 the pregame in was for already, a treat the pregame was already like my brain was already exploding and i was like great this is gonna be an awesome conversation <laughs> so we're gonna have an awesome conversation with uh dr dave nelson um dave's a fellow at in vivo planetary health part of the nova institute for health located in baltimore maryland I got my states right there, I think. And uh, we're going to talk about dietary acid load, but there's there's so much more to dietary acid load, which has gotten a little bit more, maybe getting a little bit more press, shall we say, in the last, what, five years or so, Dave? Yeah. It's getting a lot, pre- okay, a little bit more press lately, but maybe... Do you want to do you want to give us sort of the the intro as to why you're why we're talking about dietary acid load mm-hmm. and, and maybe some of the history of what led to where we're at? I think that anyone listening, whether they're a practitioner or a patient has heard of dietary acid load mm-hmm. because the persistence of the idea of like alkalize or die. And that was the title of a book or pH miracle. Mm-hmm. Um, these persist in uh, popular media as well as uh, in alternative medicine thinking. Mm-hmm. So there's a very still a pervasive idea about di- dietary acid or pH balance. Um, 
I think a lot of people have thought about it. I think they know that probably fruits and vegetables are probably a little bit more alkalizing and maybe meat is a little bit more acidifying. Um, but I think the history of where this comes from is really important. And like, I'm always like how we got to now, because right. it's a really important question, because then I feel like we, we have a, a better idea of where we're going. I think of all the civil rights movements and stuff, when we understand things like women getting the right to vote, then it's easier to do it the second, third and fourth time around, or it should be right. Mm -hmm. So these things that we're doing, like dietary acid load kind of got its first push in 1910 then by 1950s or 60s it had waned and there was really not a lot left outside of kidney things and metabolic acidosis so like kidney disease and metabolic acidosis 1995 book comes out called alkalize or die uh, that's theodore uh, uh what year did you say 1991 okay 1991 alkalize uh, or die or diet alkalize or die die yeah, Theodore. Alkalize or die, threatening. Yeah. Or, Alkalize threatening or die. Title. Or die. Or die. Oh, or die. <laughs> yeah, or die. So uh, that was 1991. Theodore Barodi, if anyone's looking for the book. Uh, and it is available on Amazon, I believe. Then the, the other one uh, is Robert O. Young, and that's PH Miracle. And that's the big one that just blew up and, you know, whatever. And he was eventually fined uh, and put in jail for making claims about cancer that, you know, the, frankly, the literature doesn't support. And he was charging a lot for it. But something interesting happened. That was 2002. There was a gap there. And people were still doing, you know, pH balance. And here it talked about, I own a retail location for, for uh, uh, health food as well. And so we hear this all the time. You know, it's like, oh, I got to alkalize. I'm too acidic. I'm too acidic. I'm too acidic. And then you layer over the big piece that I'm sure everybody else has heard about is that cancer grows in an acidic environment. Mm -hmm. And they based it on Otto War von Warburg's work from around 1919. Now, he won the mm -hmm. Nobel Prize for something else, but he did talk about microclimates of acidic environments due to anaerobic things and all this other stuff. So there's a lot of stuff surrounding cancer, acid alkaline balance, and all this other stuff. Turns out in 2017, the science starts to accumulate that this might be a thing with mm -hmm. epidemi epidemiological outcomes and two things, prowl, potential renal acid load. So that tells you how, what's the threat to the kidney and what's the threat to getting metabolic acidosis. And then the second one um, is, uh, what was I talking about there? I was thinking three thoughts ahead. The, the, when the epidemiology and the studies started coming out, they came up oh, with Oh, the studies started things. coming out. So you got prowl, potential renal acid load, and then, sorry, NEEP which is net and uh, electron um, acid or net endogenous acid potential. Okay. So that tells you how much acid you're going to produce. So intake of acid and then how much acid are you producing? And it turns out those things are now predictive for a couple of things. So there's the segue. I Wait, mean, the Dave, really no. It starts in 2010, but only in 20, or it starts in 1910. It took 107 years Jeez. to say, hey, there might be something to this. But how we got to now, it's a very circuitous route and it shows how marketing can be used for certain things. So there's and, a backstory to it as well. And was this guy that was jailed for these claims, is he now allowed to be free now that the science actually backs up and corroborates his theories? No, it's not. It's not that the science backs up and corroborates his theories is that he made claims that uh, you cannot actually say. So according to FDA standards, you can't make certain claims or something like um, that. Yeah. 
I, I think that that's true, but I think that it's really important to note that a lot of people who don't know how to qualify the evidence or the story are brought in believing they have a miracle cure mm. when they actually need to do additional investigation under um, like somebody like you guys, you know, you don't just want, you know what your patients are like, they read a book, they come in and then they're doing all these things and you're like, yeah. oh my mm-hmm. gosh, you know, sometimes it's hard to manage. Mm-hmm. So I don't think it's the suppression of information by most people. I think mm-hmm. 90% of people are not suppressing information. I think 90% of people are ignorant about the science and ignorant, <laughs> not in a bad way. I just right. don't think they know. But then there's, yeah. there might be even more. Probably are suppressing it because there's a financial reason in the background, I would imagine, right. or some power balance or something. Right. It might be even more though, Dave, because you get um, like these, I was just listening to some of, some unrelated things yesterday about a univariate analysis. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it's like, it's, it's maddening, but, and it's hard to do the work properly with all these multi multiple variables, which I know is sort of your thing. If people have listened to your previous podcast, they'll know that's sort of your thing is sort of like mm-hmm. balancing multiple and it's really difficult. It's hard. And, and so if, if we're saying dietary acid load is the only thing, we're not saying it's nothing, but it's not the only yeah. thing. And, right. and I think right. that's where, I think that's where, uh, ideal you know ideology or ideologues yeah. sort of get going with their thing it's like oh, it's all about alkalize or dive great title by the way but like mm. um you know like be careful with that it's not that it's irrelevant yeah. but it's also like not if you eat a bunch of baking soda it's not going to make all your cancer go away right so it's, I, I mean speaking of that to your point that's true and people thought that eating sodium bicarb or other alkalizing agents could not affect the microenvironment of tumors Turns out, as you saw in the paper that I wrote, like that's starting to come out. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we don't know at this point whether the bicarb is being imported into the body and having some type of reaction, because let's be honest, blood pH is 7.36 to 7.44. And that's the end of the story. And if it goes outside of that range, you're You're in trouble. Yeah, Yeah, you're in serious trouble. Yes. The body's buffering system is robustly attuned to making this happen. So part of the story here again is in, ni- in 1979, a paper came out showing that there might be a relationship between osteoporosis and, and acid alkaline balance. And so um, that's where we get the osteoporosis angle for eating meat and everything else. But I wanna point something out here that's really important for this story. Mm-hmm. There's a player we're not talking about. And the player that we're not talking about is the microbiome. So when you split the science and you look at dietary acid load science without the microbiome, it looks like dietary acid is stealing calcium from the bones, okay? But that's a very easy explanation to a very difficult problem. Over here, you add the layer of the microbiome. Now you see that dietary acid load is influencing intestinal permeability and the dysbiotic state of the gut affecting the microbes that are responsible for attuning to calcium balance. Mm. And now you have a very different story. It doesn't mean that the acid isn't drawing calcium out to be buffered. What it does mean is that there's another player that we need to talk about because dietary acid load is now related not to just osteoporosis, but to 18 other diseases and dis-ease states, including hypertension, cancer, mental health, mm-hmm. heart disease, gout, and uh, and I put all these in the paper. It's actually an exponentially long list. Yeah. 
So I have a suspicion that diseases of modern life, the vast majority, vast majority of them have a dietary acid load link. And when you talk about dietary acid load, you can really sum it up by saying one thing. It's really a, a lack of fruits and vegetables in the diet. This is, I want to be really clear here. It's not the presence of meat that causes a problem. It is the absence of fruits and vegetables at scale. That's the mm -hmm. problem. Dave, just a quick question in that vein, mm -hmm. the addition of processed foods, mm -hmm. right? Because meat, okay, if we're just talking whole foods and like mm -hmm. what comes from the earth untouched by man, then yes, cow's milk or like milk and dairy and animal-based products could have a little bit more of an acid load, but it should be balanced with a proper diet with like the fruits and vegetables. Now we bring in a layer of like processed foods that is going to change the game in a totally new way. And I'm going to assume based on your paper, and I want you to confirm for the audience, like that is also pushing us in an acidic mm. load. Would that be right. a fair assumption? Yeah. So why is that? That That's the real question, right? Mm -hmm. Why is that? And it turns out that it's polyphenolics. It's the polyphenols that are in fruits and vegetables that act as weak acids. So if you remember chemistry 101, an acid is not always an acid. An acid can act as a base, right? That's the Lewis acid base mm. balance, right? So it depends on who's more aggressive. Mm. One, the one that's more aggressive gets the proton. The one that's less aggressive has to give up the proton. Or you see what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. remember, pH stands for the potential for hydrogen, mm -hmm. right? So that's what we're talking about. And a base or an acid can have you know, it can be pulled. So if you put, and here's how lemon juice works. Lemon juice isn't an acid. It's functionally a base that informs the microbiome when you drink it because of the information in the polyphenols and the chemical structures. Hmm. So this is how it works. When you look into polyphenols. So when I said, I, I think I know what's going on here. You know, the acid load is changing the dynamics of the gut. Really what I'm talking about now is I'm going to go one step further into another layer. It's that the lack of organic acids and polyphenols with very specific structures are not managing the communities in the gut. And that's creating dysbiosis. So I'll directly address your question, Michelle. Mm -hmm. Calories without color don't have context. And that's why it raises inflammation. I like that statement. Calories yeah, I made that without up. color yeah. don't have context. So calories without context, that's the problem with processed food. Hmm. So I say it this way in a positive way to people that I'm working with. Color provides context for calories. And that's it. Why do you think white bread's bad? I've been reading about bread and gluten sensitivity and non-gluten wheat sensitivity. It's the processing. They take out all the carotenoids. So there's no information for gut microbiome. Mm -hmm. right? This is the thing. So we got to start looking at food in a very different way. Food is a, it's the most advanced science. <laughs> and so, so to address your question too, about dietary acid load, the standard North American diet, it has high dietary acid load. Why? Because you remove the things that become more alkaline. You see, you remove the polyphenols, you remove the color, you remove the things that you know, why does food go bad? Why doesn't McDonald's go bad? There's nothing in it bacteria or the microbiome of the earth want. You see, there's mm -hmm. nothing that why it can't be recycled into the earth. Even the fungi doesn't know what to do with it. 
but you put what on the counter a fresh loaf of organically baked bread like how long can you leave that out there three days maybe stable? you yeah. gotta eat it yeah because you're like if you're not gonna eat it we need that nutrition back but yeah. ultra processed food doesn't have anything in it so your microbiome doesn't want it yeah right just imagine it put a tree outside put a plant outside pretend that plant is you put a dig a little hole in the front and fertilize it with broccoli with uh you know grains whole grains fruits and vegetables all that other stuff oh we call that compost interesting <laughs> that's probably going to grow really well wild but in the same way if i start putting mcdonald's in there processed food you know tv dinners and everything else how do you think my plant's going to grow yeah it won't even grow in the garden it'll be a big stinky kind of pile of gross disgusting stuff kind of like what is in the bowl after people go to the bathroom when eating a standard sad diet mm -hmm. polyphenols that's and what it, raises the dietary acid loads lack of polyphenols why do you think meat meat doesn't have any polyphenols there's nothing to balance it out what do you mean so, raises dietary acid load i thought i thought raising dietary acid like maybe we need to be uh, oh, dietary acid load is how much acid you're putting into the gut mm -hmm. right so meat raises the dietary acid yes load. did i say the other way around it, you said you said the polyphenols raised all oh, dietary oh, sorry, acids. Sorry, polyphenols lower the dietary okay, acids. That's what I thought. I, I, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. Sorry, thank you. Okay. And see, this is another reason why, um, when you look at cultures that are long lived, blue zones, Asian cultures, meat accompanies the meal. It's not the main part of the meal. This is a really interesting and very important thing. And when you actually decrease protein, like protein depletion diets, they do work wonders for some people. Here's another thing, like. When you eat a higher glucose or carbohydrate, and I'm not arguing for any diets here, but glucose spares protein, so we actually need less. So the rice in an Asian diet helps to spare protein so you can use less. Therefore, you decrease the total dietary acid load of the whole meal. So, huh. and they, they live, Asians live a long time. Japanese live a long time. So you got to look at a whole bunch of things when looking at longevity. I don't think it's one thing. Well, I think that's the problem as we were alluding to at the beginning is that we tend to get very linear and myopic about what mm -hmm. we think that's, that's the, this is the one thing. And then everyone focuses on that and same with science and like a randomized double blind placebo controlled trial, whatever it's as if it's trying to isolate all these factors, mm -hmm. but everything has to work in a very dynamic way. And it's never just one thing. So dynamic even, and intersectional, right? I mean, it, dietary right? acid loads, a good, it's a good way to look at this because now we can look at all the stress a person's under we can look at the poor quality of their diet if they have poor quality sleep if they have poor gi health if their mental health is an issue if they're in a in a marriage that's not really working if they have air pollution if they live near an airport and now that ultra processed food meal that you're eating you're already kind of inflamed from all that other stuff now you're adding a bolus of inflammation. You might as well start a fire in there. You know, it's like really? pouring kinda, gasoline are. On, on an already smoldering fire. Yeah. And what and what plants, vegetables specifically, not as much fruits, vegetables specifically, they're a fire extinguisher for your body. And that's how it works. But it uses dietary acid load as the fire extinguisher in that polyphenols suppress the acid load. It really always goes down to the bacteria. And I think like, this is something when I talk to clients and like, we're more microbes and bacteria than we are human cells. Like mm -hmm. our mitochondria are bacteria. Mm -hmm. And at the end, it always comes back down to our microbiome. Like it really always does. It's wild. Yeah. And so here, 
the connection is this, the outside world in the soil has information, a plant grows, the color, the context, the texture, all the polyphenols and everything that is the, the tens or hundreds of things in that, that's information. And it mm -hmm. informs your gut. If you take out that stuff and just give yourself the glucose, it doesn't make any sense to the microbiome, which mm -hmm. is why you don't live as long and you have more health concerns. Dave, there was something interesting in your paper. And as you were starting to list off like stressors, external stressors, there was something about dietary acid load and its actual effect on our stress response inside mm -hmm. our body. Can you, can you, like um, cortisol, you mean, yeah, it's effect, can you yeah I'm very interested a little bit in more that too. too. So cortisol can be seen, um, as a quasi, um, surrogate marker for levels of stress. Okay. So it's not, what I'm saying, it's not black and white. You measure somebody's cortisol and, and whatever. It's mm -hmm. a whole bunch of things, but salivary cortisol is emerging in good quality research to be a surrogate marker for stress. High dietary acid load is related to high levels of cortisol and high levels of cortisol have a host of side effects, including what looks like insulin insensitivity, brain fog, and a whole bunch of other things. Now we realize now that the cortisol is rising in response to gut dysbiosis and other global safety issues where it has to say, oh, okay, okay, let, let's do a whole bunch of things right now. Um, but yes, so you can actually use this as an independent uh, surrogate marker now, salivary cortisol, and it, you might be able to predict dietary acid load or stress. Mm -hmm. But they're you, definitely related, and cortisol definitely plays a role. And so you, you also made another link in the in the paper that you wrote about between uh, what I thought was you you were implying, or maybe you made a direct link between CRP and dietary mm. acid load. Yeah, can you dietary can you talk acid about that? load and CRP? Yeah. So this is so how do you determine dietary acid load and its relationship to things like um, you know cardiovascular disease? So it's either you have to have some metric that you can measure. Um, some tests that you can do or outcome someone passes away, unfortunately. So this particular one, C-reactive protein is, is used as a surrogate marker for um, cardiovascular risk. So that shows arterial inflammation and dietary acid load seems to also show a rise in CRP. So when you start looking at these, you have high cortisol and high CRP, you need to figure out what's going on because you have two independent risk marker risk surrogate risk markers that are going up, which can open you up to about 25 to 40 different conditions that are metabolic, uh, or, or immune in origin. Mm -hmm. So yeah, definitely. And that, that's mm -hmm. an independent risk factor of, of inflammation. It's something the body releases in response to inflammation, but doesn't, it's not involved in the inflammatory process. So it's a good quality marker for inflammation, right? That's a good point. Yeah. It's not involved in the inflammatory process, right. but yeah. Okay. Man, I could, oh man, I could ask a lot. Okay. So one thing, one thing I want to ask you, Dave, is just like, if someone's listening out there and, and they're, uh, they're like, oh, they're getting, they're getting the signal here. They, they don't have enough polyphenols in their diet. They don't eat enough plant foods. Let's say plant foods, um, and, and maybe, uh, heavily focused on vegetables. Can the average person who's say having a sad diet, Mm -hmm. standard American diet or what the Canadian equivalent or whatever, would they, is it possible that they would uh, get some benefit from uh, taking some sort of greens drink uh, and, you know, economics and all that other stuff, processing mm -hmm. all that aside, would, would, is it, does that seem like something that would, would be possible benefit 
not a huge uh, undertaking for someone? Mm -hmm. It's a really good question. So I'll tell you what I do personally to address this, and then I'll uh, generalize it for everybody else. So I use Genuine Health Greens. So you can bleep that out if you want, but they've been around a long time and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan of the company. I think they do a lot of things right. And I stack two things. I take their greens uh, formula in the morning. The one that has caffeine, I have the other one too, but sometimes they use that instead of a coffee because yeah. coffee actually is a bolus of polyphenols to the gut. That's how it works. It's not the caffeine. Um, the caffeine is kind of like gravy. The heavy lifting is done by the polyphenols. So my coffee uh, in the morning is okay. What's that? my coffee in the morning is okay is what you're saying yeah well you have to ask yourself uh <laughs> I'm let, me, let me pause for a second i'm just going to pause harvard did a study in 2020 that showed there's only one organ that has a dramatic rise in reactive oxygen species after one night of short sleep or no sleep and that's the gut and they did that mm -hmm. in an animal study i'm positive i'm positive i don't know about everybody the other researchers but i'm positive it's going to carry over to human trials mm -hmm. if that carries over into human trials and people are sleeping on the vast majority of, of basis around the world, it's a known problem, then their gut is inflamed every single morning when they wake up. And that's why they are driven to coffee. The microbiome demands it to decrease reactive oxygen uh, species pressure in the gut. And you get the added benefit of feeling a little bit more alert with caffeine it does glucose mobilization, hepatic glucose output. So what do I take? Greens. So that's a little, right? And then I put chia, I, I stir it all up. And then I put one more scoop of fogs when I'm feeling really good about it. Fermented organic gut superfoods plus by Genuine Health. It's loaded in polyphenols. Oh, okay. So then that's what I did. I stir it all up, 30 minutes, stack it, get the lignans, get all that stuff in there, make it structured. I put structure around the polyphenols and then I drink it. And that seems to work really well. What do you mean you put structure around the polyphenols? the chia absorbs a bunch of water and it becomes this column that's a little bit like uh, chia pudding. Yeah. yeah. And then I drink that and it's stacked with the polyphenols and, and, uh, and the greens in there. So it's all together because I feel like the fiber and the polyphenols are both mutually important, co-delivered, because that's mm -hmm. what nature does to the gut at the same time. So I added some fiber into it, essentially mm -hmm. is what I'm doing with the chia. And then you get okay. a little protein, a little stuff too. So I'm creating some nutrition around the greens as well to provide context again for the gut. And, okay. and why, why are you outsourcing the fermentation? Uh, because things wouldn't be fermented by the time they're, they're ingested orally, right? Time, time. So, so I, I, I use the supplement because I know the polyphenols have been liberated. That's the difference. Mm. So unliberated polyphenols, my microbiome has to work hard for those. Liberated mm. polyphenols, I can just use them and get the benefit right now. Um, Dr. Barb Woger, who is, uh, I mean, she's does a lot with magnesium. Her and I have been discussing a lot about polyphenols lately. She's in Toronto and she gives her patients two grams of polyphenols on a regular basis. And she's noticing some very interesting differences. So we're doing a lot of N equals one kind of like information gathering, right. but it looks like the order of food, stacking things, eating proteins first, salads, finishing off with, you know, carbohydrates that don't mm -hmm. have anything associated with them and getting two grams of polyphenols. You can get weight loss with that fairly easily. So the order of nutrients plus the polyphenols. I was seeing glucose goddess says that eat your vegetables first, then your mm -hmm. protein, and then your carbs last on your plate. And I started telling right. some of my clients that, and they're like, it's actually a game changer, but it's, it's like a, game a different changer. way of thinking about how to eat yep. your food. But then I just want to go back to really quickly the fermented foods because a, it's a vegetable, b it's mm -hmm. a 
the source of fiber and polyphenols, but that fermentation process also unlocks a lot of that nutrient process. So again, mm-hmm. a shout out to fermented foods, cause there's not nearly enough. And that's another thing in like Japanese and Chinese and Korean cultures is like there is fermented foods in a lot of their cooking. So I wonder if well, that's an there, added thing too. There's fermented few foods. So if you, if you read Sandor Katz's book on the art of fermentation, he's considered the father or mother or whatever, the guru of fermentation. Uh, he'll tell you fermented foods exist in every culture around the world, period. Before mm-hmm. refrigeration, ex- period. Ex- except for North everywhere. Americans so much. Right. But I mean, but we, as soon as Napoleon invented cans, we did yeah. things a different way, right? And we brought that stuff here and we didn't use traditional methodologies. And now you got to ask yourself the question, just the last, maybe I'll just say this, just to leave people with a thought as I tie dietary acid load microbiome and longevity together really quickly all the studies involving immigrants that come to North America, the Japanese Hawaiians, within one generation, they experience some of these changes. And now the data is starting to leak out that these are microbiome motif changes, plus additional allostatic load or different stressors. And this seems to lead to um, life dysbiosis. Remember, dysbiosis just means life in distress. So I think we're living in a state of dysbiosis because we have a state of dysbiosis. Mm-hmm. Okay, that was a good sound snippet for the audience because I just feel like I have to sit and reflect on that for a second. Deep thoughts with Dave Nelson, everybody. <laughs> well, actually, I think here's one other one for you. We have an epidemic of autoimmunity. Yeah. And we have an epidemic of autoimmunity in that we're attacking ourselves and we're attacking each other. Mm. That autoimmunity internally is affecting our mind space for the people that are exactly the same as us and we're attacking them. Yeah, there's Mm. a lack of community in the world right now. There's a lot of divisiveness and a lack of community. That is- the number one predictor of longevity, and you can take this eight ways to Sunday and cross apply it now, looks like social integration. So if your gut isn't socially integrated, you won't be. And if you're not socially integrated, you won't live a long time. Well, there's been hints of this, Dave, in a really boring sense. It's like a, these notobiotic uh, mice and autism mm-hmm. behaviors as a sort of model of, of autism yeah. in, in those studies, right? Well, you'll find, you know, vac- vaccines don't cause autism. They, they can trigger it, but they de- definitely don't cause it. Autism looks like it's a combination of three things, genetics, epigenetics, and a disordered microbiome, all acting out of some cohesive concert piece. And, uh, and you find these dysbiotic states actually that, that predate um, uh, birth. So they happen in utero now, and they can actually look at certain things even before conception. So there's some interesting I was gonna, Yeah, I was going to ask about that because some, some of them, uh, some cases seem to be very, uh, uh, the phenotype comes out pretty, yeah. pretty damn early. Mm-hmm. Well, you're going to find in science now in this dynamic intersection of complexity, there's a lot of scientists that are going, oh, these linear models can't explain anything anymore. <laughs> no. And so now it's an intersectional model of many things taking place at the same time with dynamic feed and, and feed forward and feedback mechanisms that are uh, equilibrating and, and, and being dynamic in real time. And that's the difficulty. But I'll leave everyone with the shortcut. That actually, it takes a while to do this. But if you remember these six things, you can get out of it. 
nutrition, exercise that's meaningful movement, high quality sleep, meditation that shuts your brain down so that your stress of your mind doesn't affect your gut, social integration, have good friend groups that have good microbiomes because your social microbiome is shared. That's a 2020, 2021 paper in nature. I wanted to ask you about that. Actually. And nature, get out in nature because you need nature's microbiome too. You do all those things. That's naturopathic medicine 101. You do all those things. You're going to control 80% of the variability about your longevity. It is naturopathic medicine 101. And as Dave mm -hmm. and I were talking after our episode with Kath Catherine Clinton, it's like talking about the integration of these super simple things that we take for granted. There's now mm -hmm. the science, I mm -hmm. guess you can say coming out to corroborate or mm -hmm. support these theories, which is really lovely. So we can, you know, we don't just look like a bunch of quacks telling people to do hydrotherapy. Yeah. You know what I mean? Our just, but also trims the fat too, right? right? That's, that's what's cool. It's too. so great. Dave, that's what I wanted to say. Actually, it's very important that we scuttle things like honestly, that are losing steam because there is an alternative, better explanation for how they work. Mm -hmm. So when you're talking about lemon juice, it's fine. You can call it what you want, but we know a lot more about how that may work now. So let's talk about that new stuff. I was talking to Alan uh, Christensen and he's a New York times bestselling author. He's written a whole bunch of books and he's super smart. And we were talking about the state of the naturopathic profession. And I want to challenge you guys, cause you're doing this, you're informing people through this venue. He said, naturopathic medicine, like we had this stuff 20 years ago. We were so ahead. We were doing all these things. It was just blowing my mind. We were pioneers. And it hit me right in that moment. I said, we're not pioneers anymore. That's the problem. <laughs> yeah, We're not pioneers. So that's where I come in. in. In a sense, I feel very much like a trailblazer. Planetary health is the next chapter in naturopathic medicine. It explains the interdependencies and the complexities. Let's get on board. Because dietary acid loads planetary health. That's bad food and bad behavior mm -hmm. or bad outcomes and disease. Uh, polyphenols are planetary health. If that's conventional farming, a lack of polyphenols in the diet, it's like monocropping. It's all those other things. Like you can, naturopathic medicine has the, it should be looked at as an ecosystem. It's all of those things. And that's what creates vitality or flourishing in everyone, not in humans. I don't like this idea. It's just like make humans feel better. Yeah. It's like we have to feel better while everything else feels better at the same time. All or living else we things. We can't feel better while everything else is suppressed. Doesn't make sense. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love how you're bringing in that social bit too, Dave. Maybe sometime we can talk more about that too, because I'm, I'm finding that to Remember be- Remember when um, it says you become the five or six people you yeah. spend time around? Guess and what? You, you absorb their mind state and their microbiome. And that Two things together intersect to make that happen. I'm glad you brought this up because I wanted to circle back, but I didn't have a way, but I wanted to be like the sense of community. Is it because there's a shared microbiome within each other and then you strengthen each other's mm, diversity and stuff? I'm is that blow kind your of how mind, it is? Michelle, here's I want to know more. <laughs> You're not doing anything. It's your microbiome that wants the social exchange with someone else microbiome. So pick them wisely. <laughs> yes. No, no, no. Pick them wisely. Your microbiome is actually choosing your social group, not you. Mm, that's that's right. awesome. Right. Now here, here, here's the thing. Dave, this your is, face. <laughs> right. This is crazy. Okay. Because we know microbiome influences personality and decision-making. That's all in the literature. Hmm. When you become those people you spend time with, 
I'm going to throw down two things having a 16 month old and being married that I can tell you that no one ever thinks about, but is entirely true. Kids put things in their mouth for one reason. There could be a second one, which could be shape, texture, and feeling it. It's to sample the external environment and inoculate their microbiome through their oral cavity, going to the gut and to the skin and the lungs. That's what they're doing. Let them put things in their mouth. Let them eat. Number two, why do you kiss people and why is it considered intimate? And why won't you touch saliva from somebody you don't know? I'll tell you why. There's one reason, microbiome. It's the only reason. When you get together with someone and you have a good relationship, here's what science is finding. You have good microbiome biodiversity between the two of you. You have good diversity yourself. She or he has good diversity. And the overlapping Venn diagram is very powerful. That's number one. And then number two, um, your kid, they increase their microbiome. This is how it works at daycare. It's not that some kid is snotting or sneezing on your aerosol. It's the microbiome all over the place that everybody's bringing on everything and touching everything. And you're bringing a little bit of that home. Right. This is microbiome dysbiosis with street meat. When you get sick, when you go to some, some other country, everybody else already has the tax that they need to create the, to, to continue the relationship. But you just ate some drunk guys that don't know how to handle what's going on in your gut. And they're causing a big ruckus. Mm -hmm. So you got to wait for them to tire out and go home, or you got to give them some therapy to make them be quiet. Mm -hmm. How we act is a direct indication of what's going on in our gut mm -hmm. and how we're treating the earth. And that's all I'll say. Dave, I love when you come on our show. <laughs> it's just fine. You got to connect the dots. This is what hasn't been done. So in naturopathic medicine, it's hard, Dave. pioneer, let's connect those dots. It's hard, Dave. I, I was just talking this with my stepson on the on the way home yesterday. I was, it's it's this kind of dedication to to really figuring out how things work and the interrelated. Yeah, it's it's hard work. So again, I've I probably said it last time, but thank you for doing this. Uh, no problem. This hard work. It it yeah. really. Um, and then the, and they're, they're even showing the interplay between photons and polyphenolics in foveal cell maturation, for example, like, like I'm serious when it, here's another thing, guys. Okay. So we get a lot of hubris and we get egos and, and then I'm going to be quiet. I remember the moment in 2008 that I was taking my additional science classes before I could apply to CCNM. This was physiology. I was learning about DNA and the PhD was talking about DNA. And I remember what she called it. It's like, this is, you know, the coding region and this is junk DNA. And I can't, I can't describe to you how offended I felt at that moment by calling it junk. I was like, mm. how can you say that? Arrogant. You're like, well, it's a vestigial part of, you know, evolution. Not it buying turns it. out, it turns out folks, junk DNA is more important than the coding region. So we got to get out of the hubris. We got to get out of the ego and we got to let the ecosystems of earth speak to us in ways that'll bring us along in this dance of flourishing. We've been too, you know, whatever that is, we need to open it up and get reconnected with our gut, our people, our everything. And that's what brings us contentment and happiness and dietary acid loads a role there. You, you can't, optimize and flourish if you're not eating the information of the earth which is the colors and stuff like that yeah. like that's a standard north american diet has no information in it eat the rainbow and i don't eat mean the skittles <laughs> not great, skittles 
Great quote from Dave's uh, paper. Uh, Naturopathic doctors have been keen observers and clinical specialists in the rational center of a long continuum between the poles of miracle cures at one end and outright dismissal of the acid-base balance by dairy board propagandists at the other. Mm -hmm. Trim the fat, take what's good, Bruce Lee yeah. it, and and I think we got some wicked naturopathic medicine that we can Here, bring here's in what the happens future. to naturopathic doctors that are willing to do this. If you're willing to do this, because then remember that, I mean, we did, anyways, I'm not going to say it. If you're willing to do this, 10 years from now, when a lot of the world's medical facilities are talking about this, remember, we just interviewed at the Nova Institute, Helene Levine. She's the director of the NCCIH, the National Center for uh, Complementary and Integrative Health in the United States. Francis Collins has read my paper, the former director of the NIH on clinical ecology and planetary health. 21st century medicine. We get on this now. We have a 10-year head start to the beginning of mass adoption because NIH in, in the United States, they're going towards a whole person health model. So I, I've spoken to both the president of the American Academy of Pediatrics, as well as you know the, the director of the NCCIH. They're going in this direction. It'll take them a long time to get there. We need to get there now and get back part of this messaging, get ahead of this messaging, before it becomes an actual positional statement. Let's be pioneers again is what I'm saying. Let's take it, do it, let's get together, let's share our knowledge. I can't read every paper on earth. I rely on other people to read stuff too. I rely on you, right? Like we need to do this, but we need to <laughs> level it up. Let's stop recycling old material. Let's yeah. get into the goods. Cause say, eat the lemon juice, great. But when you tell your viewers why, an acid can act like a Way base under the right conditions. Mm. Boom. Now I've got it. Now Way more I'm compelling. Eating. Yes. The Way thing is we compelling. finally have the ability to start to understand some of this. Correct. And even still, we know a minuscule amount of how this world actually operates and the complexity of our microbiome. But at the end of the day, when we begin to understand I'll, I'll more, we got to do better. For episode number three, <laughs> we need to confront mind-body medicine and the placebo effect at scale. Yeah, I don't want to talk about homeopathy at anything where we're going to talk about who's right and who's wrong. I want to talk about homeopathy under the lens of the placebo effect. It's something we need to talk about. Because if it's true, you're your own pharmacy in that case, which yeah. means you're getting exactly what you need based on the power of what you think you're getting. Mm -hmm. We need to discuss that because it's very real. I'm part of the Society of Interdisciplinary Placebo Studies. And the stuff coming out is profound. So we, we, we have to start using this in medicine at scale. Get somebody to heal themselves based on the power of their mind. It's real, it's scientific, and it's happening. Yeah, yeah. We, well, there's we, a lot of science to show that. Like I've been reading certain mm -hmm. books by different by different doctors who are doing different things, and they're like, the placebo effect is real. Here's why: yeah. this study, this study, this study, this study. And we just need not... to talk about it. What does it yeah. look like? What is the placebo effect? What's outcome? It's like what weeds. You know what it's like? It's like weeds, Dave. Mm -hmm. That's what I, I just thought. I was like trying to think of a quick analogy. Placebo yeah, we effects weed like weeds. We yeah. got to weed the garden. Yeah, but but also maybe maybe these weeds can be used medicinally. Like weeds are just something uh, you don't yeah, want yeah, there. Yeah, you, yeah. You're just like, oh, this is an inconvenience for yeah. this other yeah. thing I'm looking at. The I dandelion want is an inconvenience, but what it's an inconvenience. At the same it's, the time. Most, it's the most beautiful herb. It's yeah. it, the, so the, the thing that planetary health scientists and and right directly to what you're talking about is they're asking people to redefine what beautiful is. Right. Mm. You've been told that a rose is beautiful, but is there another way to look at the earth because you understand the interconnections of all things that now that dandelion 
is just as important for the soil's microbiome in your lawn as it is for your own. I've noticed here in Brampton, they've stopped spraying against the dandelions and they've come up everywhere. And for some reason, I just kept thinking, is this our world way of just detoxifying itself since it's such a good detoxifier for our body? And I was like, the nature mm. always wins. She always well, wins. They're, they're re they're, so what it's called is rewilding the soil's microbiome. And Jake Robinson, University of Sheffield, he's leading the research on that. They're planting. So you know what you do when you plant endemic species in your backyard? You're rewilding the microbiome of the soil. That's what you're doing. Mm. And then you're attracting, uh, you know, endemic pollinators and stuff too. This Love is it. all part of what we're doing. What we eat, how we plant, who we attract to our gardens, all of that stuff matters in the quality of our food and the quality of our mental health. Mm -hmm. So naturopathic medicine 101 guys, like this yeah. is it. That's why I, I spoke at the AANP, putting the nature and naturopathic put back in naturopathic medicine. We don't learn about outcome and it's all connected. When you go play in the soil, you get microbiome. Here's a study from last week, soil inoculated with a microbiome called um, mycobacterium vacci, another one with no M vacci. All they did was rub the soil in their hands. Guess what happened? They changed stress and inflammatory markers. They didn't well. eat it. They didn't do anything else. They just rubbed it on their hands and washed it with water. Dave, do we have do you have time for one more question, or do we need to shut her down for for today? Okay, that's one more question. I I have one question, and uh, it's it's kind of like a fundamental question, framework question, because uh, you're, you're talking about the intersectionality of many different things. Mm -hmm. Is <clears throat> what I'm always looking for, if it's possible, and and maybe you could save me a hell of a lot of trouble doing this is if there's a kind of hierarchy to a lot of these uh, these uh, systems. So, so this is what I'm kind of trying to do this with people. I try to do the, uh, I try to assess and rectify or correct as best as I can, the most fundamental foundational thing mm -hmm. that has the most kind of satellite effects on other interrelated systems. Is there Great a question. Okay. Yeah. What's the ultimate shortcut? <laughs> oh, oh yeah, I, yeah, I don't, yeah. that sounds the lazy because so, I'm, I'm willing I, to do the work. I'm not trying to be, yes, I'm trying yeah. to be efficient, I guess. Let, let me put it this way. Sorry. Shortcut is the wrong word completely because it suggests that you're not putting in the work. So I totally agree with you. Maybe the more effective way. Most the effective. best optimization oh. you can use is to get someone sleeping. Yeah. Number okay. one thing. So okay. when I went to Harvard 2018 and their mind body medicine program as rolled out at Mass Gen, okay, yeah. Massachusetts General, number one th thing, and this was said to me right um, by one of the, the the people who runs the team, sleeps ground zero. Sleeps ground zero. That's been my intuition and I had no, yeah. yeah. Okay. So here's the reason though. <laughs> the microbiome has its own circadian rhythm. Yeah. Okay. Number one. And Dave's hair has is its awesome. own life. Number two, <laughs> the microbiome has its own circadian rhythm. And when you don't get sleep, one night increases dysbiosis. So that's why you do it. You have to tune the circadian cycle of the microbiome to the physiological circadian cycle of the body. And you need, when people start sleeping, they have less dysbiosis. Mm. 
So that's why sleep's ground zero. And you attack it from a bunch of different ways, highlight exposure during the day, decrease inflammatory food, stop eating at night, do some meditation, get out into nature, you know, calm the sympathetic nervous system down, take some probiotics that now seem to have action against anxiety. Anxiety looks like it's mediated by a particular tax of bacteria. So there's really interesting things going on, but naturopathic medicine 101 at the end of the day, when you take a whole person health model, and I don't, you know, I'm not so interested in the modality where there's TCM, homeopathy, botanical mm -hmm. medicine, narrative medicine in there, dietary, mm -hmm. lifestyle modification, yeah. sleep hygiene, people are going to get help because yeah. you're sitting across from them in a human way for 60 to 90 minutes and making their concern relevant. That alone is medicine. Here, here. Dave, it's always a pleasure having you on the show. It's just amazing we conversations. Love, we love Dave Nelson. We want, can, can you be well, I love you guys because you keep, you keep, you keep doing it. You know, you gotta, you gotta be a platform and talk about these things or else no one gets ed educated. Right. Like we appreciate you be part be being a part of our consciousness so we can have you on the show and help facilitate too. this conversation with our audience. And then hopefully they can have this conversation with another one and it continues to expand. Yeah. Um, thank you so much for coming on. We look forward for our next episode with you. Sounds good. It was good to see you guys. Yeah, you too. Thanks, Dave.